Welcome to the Bodily Transgressions in Fantasca Media podcast series. We hope you enjoy the series. If you have any questions or comments, we invite you to attend the Digital Symposium, which will take place on 12th November 2022 via Zoom. The event will be free, or drop us a line on our Discord server. Details are in the podcast information or can be found at fantasticajournal.com under CFB's events and news. That's Fantastica with a K. This podcast is part of Panel 5, Cyborg Bodies, which will take place at 5 p.m. GMT time. This podcast is presented by Alicia Sarada, who is a PhD student and a researcher at the University of Vasa, Finland. Their dissertation, supported by the Nissi Foundation, discusses construction of value in games on blockchain. In general, Alicia writes on exploitation, violence, horror, deception, and other banal and non-banal evils in visual media. Their paper today is entitled, Return of the Amphibian Human, Underwater Utopias in History and Fiction. Hi, I'm Alicia. In my pet project, I explore body modifications of aquatic cyborgs and amphibian humans in fiction and scientific imagination. In general, underwater utopias remain a viable but incredibly scarce alternative to space exploration in fantastic media. I see this as a symptom of Cartesian thought limiting how we see ourselves in relation to our environment. Humans in space can be reduced more or less to brains in jars. A typical adventure in space challenges the ability of human or sometimes alien actors to make rational decisions while their biological bodies are principally isolated from the hostile environment of open space. In contrast, underwater utopias invite us to become one with the environment, as long as we can overcome our fear of drowning. Living in the ocean requires becoming one with with it on the bodily level, such as being able to breathe underwater. To achieve this, not even completely fantastic goal, human may require body modifications, such as described, for example, in the early Soviet novel by Alexander Belayev, titled Amphibian Man. Published in 1928, Amphibian Man might be the first work of science fiction that explored not just the technical possibility of underwater utopias for humans, but also the complex bioethical questions that such utopia would raise. The titular Amphibian Man is a shark man cyborg. He has the body of a young and handsome man and the gills of a shark, in addition to his human lungs. This cyborg was created by the mysterious Dr. Salvador, a genius Argentinian surgeon, who now calls Ifteander his son. Ifteander finds his love in the city of Buenos Aires, and he wants to become a part of human society. But then the evil capitalist Pedro Zurita kidnaps his girlfriend and tries to exploit Ifteander's ability to breathe underwater. In the end, heartbroken Ifteander leaves human society for good, heading to the remote Pacific island with the hope to join the friendly research facility that studies oceanic life. This story became immensely popular among Soviet readers. It successfully combined melodrama, science fiction, nautical adventures and even episodic body horror, directly inspired by the island of Dr. Morrow by Herbert Wells. Belief and Morrow... uh, Belayev and Wells may have actually been in contact, but of course this was very much against the Stalinist regime that Belayev has witnessed in full bloom. Being a technological optimist, and an optimist in general, Belayev also wrote a number of radical communist space utopias, some of them quite boring, but some actually interesting, and this saved him for 
saved him from political persecution and further propelled the success of his other more adventurous novels. The aforementioned Amphibian Man was adapted for screen in 1961. It was a slightly chaotic and ideologically confusing but otherwise very successful film, still beloved by many generations of viewers. The film pioneered underwater photography in the Soviet cinema, but even more importantly, together with the projects of Jacques-Yves Cousteau in France and worldwide, Amphibian Man directly inspired the first Soviet project of underwater housing, which was named after Ichtiandr himself. The first underwater house in the USSR was built in 1966 in the Lapsi Bay at the, at the southern shore of Crimea, as its inhabitants proudly stated, 12 meters from the shores of Ukraine. The experiments continued until 1968. This project was carried out by the enthusiasts from the Donetsk, Donetsk Diving Club under the guidance by Alexander Hyatt, a professional surgeon who also had a deep interest in studies of supernatural abilities, such as telepathy. Uh, Stranger Things, Season 6. These fragments from the uh, logbook of the second experiment, uh, which were published in a youth magazine in 1967, already read like science fiction. August 29, 1967. 8.30 p.m. Code red. Electricity is gone. We had Lenya as a guest, and he and Hayes were demonstrating an experiment in telepathy. Medium, attention, attention, medium. Suddenly the lights went off and the air supply stopped working. The water level started rising slowly but steadily. We could not stop joking about uh, mediums, of course. End of quote. <laughs> Despite minor glitches like the described above, this project proved to be successful. The enthusiasts gathered a significant amount of medical data about human and animal well-being in an underwater dome. Sadly, this Ictiandr project was discontinued in 1969, as it was denied funding. But in a more official manner, other underwater habitats were constructed in the USSR in the 1960s, uh, namely Sadko and Chernomor. They were also quite successful in terms of research, but eventually techno technological development in this field has stalled when available resources were channeled into the space race. Again, conquering space has been deemed more important than learning to live together with the ocean. It may be that this heroic image of a superhuman space explorer just seems more attractive to the public and to the authorities and the funding bodies, as compared to a wet cyborg frogman who dwells in the murky waters and constantly brings up environmental concerns, as they do. In real life, think of the late Jacques Cousteau, who unironically believed that humankind can learn to breathe underwater in the future. In fantastic media, the closer the amphibian cyborg merges with their environment, the less human they become in the eyes of others. Uh, specifically in Amphibian Man, this ability to breathe underwater is described as the key to the immensely beautiful and homely underwater world.
and yet this ability uh, makes its bearer Ichtiander less than human, separates him from human society, and allows uh, the society to exploit him. Tamingly, almost the same framing is presented in the contemporary fantasy film Shape of Water by Guillermo del Toro, released in 2017. Post-Soviet viewers eagerly compared it to Amphibian Man, but uh, this plagiarization is highly unlikely. Instead, we may see that the story of the Shape of Water, which is indeed similar to Amphibian Man in a number of quite meaningful ways, was constructed by reversing the narrative of the horror classic Creature from the Black Lagoon, released in 1954, which in turn most likely took inspiration from H.P. Lovecraft's Dagon people, or the Deep Ones, a significant part of Lovecraftian mythology, and yet another expression of fear of hybridization between the human and the non-human. Now we know that the source of this fear was Lovecraft's racism, which rendered people of color as non-human. However, knowing this enables us to critically question and further explore this toxic fear in the safe fictional environment of horror, fantasy and science fiction. Del Toro himself did this work of uncovering and condemning racism, not just by reversing the familiar trope, but also by placing it in the context of quite literal Nazism. And almost a century before that, Alexander Belyaev also condemned racism in his work. Uh, in fact, Ichtiander is an indigenous Argentinian, most likely a Guarani, which is the true reason why Dr. Salvador could use him as a test subject for extreme body modifications. Dr. Salvador's ethics, highly questionable by itself, actually reveals systemic inequality in colonial Argentina. On the one hand, he does medical experiments on indigenous people, were not even able to give fully informed consent. But on the other hand, he is the only doctor to whom they can come, who can treat them for free. And in this way, Alexander Belayev's work sadly remains relevant even in today's discussions about how indigenous people are dehumanized by the descendants of colonial authorities. So far, we have explored the amphibian human as a metaphor for reconciliation with the other. This metaphor appears to be at least a century old, even within the canon of fantastic literature. And after all this time, we can and should ask for more in real life. We can do that. We are better than that. Will we become amphibian one day, if we wish so? We will, will we ever be able to live underwater as Jacques-Yves Cousteau wanted us to be? A perspective so much more realistic, humane and even economically efficient than colonization of Mars, for example. So, then, an amphibian person is technically a cyborg. And, of course, we may want to seek for answers in the works of the most cited post-humanist thinker Donna Haraway. Surprisingly, she has very little to say about the ocean and the possibility of amphibian life. One notable example is her heartfelt description of the crochet coral reef, a collective art project that united 8,000 people in 27 countries, and they crocheted corals. Uh, and I quote, making fabulated, rarely mimetic, but 
achingly evocative models of coral reef ecosystems, or maybe of just a few critters, this crochet coral reef has morphed into what is probably the world's largest collaborative art project, cited from Donna Haraway, 2016. While the participants of this project have certainly fulfilled their own creative ambitions, on behalf of the actual marine life, may I add, which did not appear in the project in any form. They probably felt very good about themselves, they felt very inspired while doing it together, and Haraway explains in so many words how deep their emotional attachment was to the biological reefs. However, it is not clear at all in which way exactly doing thematic handicrafts has helped to fight for well-being of the real-life coral reefs, which was the proclaimed goal. I argue that such self-indulgent art projects, mostly created in the comfort of middle-class households, are the opposite of the unmediated, intimate and often deadly relation with the ocean and other bodies of water. As someone who is dead afraid of deep open waters, I am probably just annoyed by similar fears in others. Uh, however, we only find a fleeting mention of an amphibian cyborg in the, even in the earlier Haraway's work, for example, when she discusses Superluminal, a science fiction novel by her fellow, microbi uh, fellow biologist, uh, Vonda McIntyre, who also contributed to the Crochet Coral Reef project. Namely, in the Cyborg Manifesto, Haraway describes the character from this novel, who is, amphibian, who is amphibian, but does not want to remain so. Uh, and I quote, Orca, a genetically altered diver can speak with killer whales and survive deep ocean conditions, but she longs to explore space and as a pilot, necessitating bionic implants, jeopardizing her kinship with the divers and cetaceans. Cited from Donna Haraway, 2015. Even here, although we are supposed to read this example as a celebration of a cyborg, in fact, what is stated here is that a brain in the vat of a cosmic station is rendered superior to an amphibian living in harmony with their immediate environment. These constraints of imagination can be illustrative of the, of the same mind versus body split in Western thought, that, uh, th that exact failure that Donna Haraway has been while successfully fighting and criticizing while exploring other topics and themes. Again, I am not the one to judge. I grew up in a landlocked country, one of the only 44 such countries in the world, which is considered a serious geoeconomical disadvantage. And my imaginary of the underwater world uh, was shaped by Jacques-Yves Cousteau, Alexandre Belyaev and illustrated children's literature. This fantastic imaginary presented the Big Blue as the place of the most striking non-human beauty, which can only be trivialized by human art. And now, when I actually live by the sea, I still can't stop admiring its enormous power, both in spiritual and technological terms, a hyper-object in terms of Timothy Morton. And by discovering more amphibian humans and aquatic cyborgs as main protagonists in fantastic media, I hope to explore the limits of this typically Western, or more precisely, white American procedures of constructing the other that often can be traced to the questionable legacy of the <laughs> unquestionably racist H.P. Lovecraft. 
While we should always admire quality horror storytelling, it is also our responsibility to admit and fight our own fears while enjoying fantastic and horror fiction and hopefully going further than that and building our dreams in the real life. Thank you.